everyone. Hi. Hi. Um, so this is my was my very first treasure hunt. Um, when I heard um, Jessica give her testimony, um, I really wanted to try it out. Um, I've done something like this before, but I didn't really have God in my heart, <laughs> and so I was just full of fear. But this time, I was just full of excitement. Like right when we started and started praying, I was just like. Man, like I want to get started going. Like, I don't want to pray. I just want to go. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But so, like me, it was me, Andy, um, Marie, and um, Rona. We prayed, and uh, the vision that I got was um, the student union building, the main library, um, a girl in a ponytail, and um, person in a cap. So. Like Andy, when he told me that, oh, you know, Jimmy, like God is telling me that you're like my compass for today. And for a moment, I was like, uh, I'm a little bit scared. Like I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I my I told Andy like let's go to the main library. So which we did, and we we stood around for quite a few minutes, and all of a sudden, um, oh yeah, like backtrack that. Andy told me about his, which he had like cow and like a girl. I mean, like a ribbon. Like we don't know what color it was, but like a simple, just plain ribbon. And so we were at the main library, and all of a sudden, um, I don't know. I just me and Annie we were looking at this one particular girl coming from the student main the student building, and she was coming crossing toward us. So Andy was saying like, I think that's her. Like that's her. And I was like, Yeah, it has to be her because she had a she was a she had a ponytail and plus a ribbon, and so. I don't know what just. I didn't feel like I was in control. Like, as if the Holy Spirit was like moving me, like moving me to like chase after her, and I was like smiling. And I felt like man, I feel like a stalker. <laughs> but I chased after. Her. We chased after her, and like, you know, we we intru- um, we introduced each other. And um, the most craziest thing I remember was when I prayed over her. I told her that. Like God just wanted me to tell you that how beautiful you are, and you're like His princess. And the amazing thing is, her name means beautiful, and I knew that after I prayed over her. So, yeah, that's something <laughs> I want to share. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to get started with um, tonight's speaker. Uh, she's a woman who technically needs no introduction. So, without further ado, Pastor Aaron. Okay, first of all, Jimmy, where are you at? Where'd she go? I just want to say that I'm so proud of you. Seriously. You know, you got to know that um, I remember my first couple of times going out evangelizing, doing treasure hunts. It's not easy to even get to the meeting place and be like, Hey, I'm here. I'm going to do this. And so I just thank you for sharing your testimony one and two. I'm just so proud of you. You did awesome. You did really good. Um, yeah, let's just bow our heads in prayer as we begin. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and God, we just thank you that tonight is, um, just going to be about celebrating who you are and all that you've done this semester. Uh, we just thank you that, um, and you just continue to, uh, cause us to be in awe of you. And God, we just pray that your presence would just begin to fill this place, that you would begin to tug at our hearts, 
God, that you'll begin to open our eyes and our ears. God, I just bind any distraction right now in Jesus' name. And I just pray, Father, that you would just open up your heavens, God, over this place, over our hearts, Lord, that we would just commune with you, that we would fellowship with you as we hear your word, that faith will begin to rise up inside of us, God, that we would be strengthened and encouraged, God, to run the race that you have set out for us. God, it's our confession that we love you and that we're in desperate need of you. God, we just, we thank you so much for your goodness. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So my message tonight is called a commitment that perseveres. A commitment that perseveres. And, you know, my first question to you guys tonight, one is, is this too loud? I feel like I'm really loud. Is that right? Okay. Okay. Um, Okay, then my second question is, how many of you guys have made commitments that you have actually followed through on? All the way to the end of the commitment. All right, how many of you guys have made commitments that you definitely uh, kind of dropped the ball on? You made the commitment and you're like, mm. Mm. yeah, I'll meet you on Saturday. Yeah, I'll be there. My bad, I can't come. <laughs> you know, we're a generation that has a commitment issue. You guys know that? Listen, I'm just going to be real with you guys. And when I'm talking about you, you know I'm talking about me, right? Y'all know that, right? I'm not like, oh, what's wrong with you? I'm like, (laughs) I got issues too. But we're this capricious generation. You know, um, just side note, capricious, it means uh, constantly changing your mind. You know how I know that? You know when you study for the SATs, you get that like big box of index cards? For me, I only studied like the first 10 words. Capricious was one of them. And so I wanted to, anyway, listen, we're a capricious generation, okay? We are constantly changing our minds, and we're so afraid of, our, of committing. There's this fear of commitment that's on our generation. And I think one of the reasons why we're afraid to commit is because we know that many times we've committed and we didn't follow through. And we're thinking to ourselves, man, you know, I can make this commitment, but I don't know if I can keep it. So might as well just not make it at all. You guys feel me on that? Have you ever thought that way? We're just so scared to make a commitment. You know, 80% of undergrad students, and this is polled in the U.S., they change their major at least once. Now, majority of students change their majors at least three times. Now, after graduating from college, there's an average of a change from five to seven different careers in one person's lifetime. And an average of actually being employed at 28 different places. Having 28 to 29 different jobs. Listen, we're a commitment phobia generation. You know, back in the day, like if your dad was like uh, a carpenter, you know what that meant? You were a carpenter. You know that? You know what that meant for your son or your child? They're going to be a carpenter. It was just that easy. Now we got like all these different majors, all these different options, and it scares us half to death because we don't want to make the wrong choice. And we're constantly afraid that we made the wrong choice, constantly afraid in uh, changing our decisions. Even when you watch TV, how many of y'all stay on one channel? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's a button on the remote that's the change to the previous channel. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, I'm just like... Like, it's just continual. You know, because we can't stand commercials. I don't know about you guys, but I don't watch a single commercial. As soon as one commercial comes up and I'm like 10 different channels, I'm, I'm scoping the TV. I can't even commit to a TV channel. Got issues, man. 
I know, I know. You know, even when we make plans with our friends, you guys, the way that you make plans with one another is open-ended. Hey, you free this Saturday? Oh, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know. Well, I'm, we're going to go watch a movie. You want to come? Or maybe. That's it. Maybe. You end with that. That's as much commitment as you're going to give to your friend to watch a movie. Why? Because you're afraid that something else is better, better is going to come up. That Saturday, somebody else is going to take you to a concert. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, you're going to be like, all right, you know what? Actually, I'm going to the concert. Some of you guys even say, no, I'll be there. And you don't come. Mm-hmm. You know you have friends like that. You know some of you have done that to your friends. Oh, yeah, I'll talk. Oh, yeah, I'll be there Saturday. I'll be there 3 o'clock, sure. 2.59. Hey, Matt, I'm so sorry, but uh, can't make it. I got to study. <laughs> Whatever. You know you found something else to do. We can't even commit to our friendships. Listen, we got commitment issues. We got commitment issues. What about commitments you've made while you were in relationships? How many of you guys have dated before? Don't be scared. It's okay. It's okay. All right. Okay. Now, in your relationships, your dating relationships, how many of you guys have heard someone speak a commitment over you? Baby, I'm always going to be there for you. What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm going to love you forever. Please. How many times have I heard that? How many times have I heard that? How many times have I heard guys specifically, I'm a wife you. What? <laughs> okay. You know, I actually had a, I made commitments with my friends back in the day, like my guy friends. I didn't really have any interest towards them, but we were like, hey, 15 years, if you're not married and I'm not married, let's just get married. You guys ever have that? No, no. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Rebecca is like, I know you feel me on that one, but we make even ridiculous commitments like that make a phone call to my friends. My bad. Got married. <laughs> Not with you. Okay. Um, so man, but we're afraid of commitment and we've had so many people break their commitments to us. And you know what? In the end, it's caused us to be jaded. Maybe even spiritual figures, your pastor, listen, I'm going to walk you through this son. I'm going to be there for you. And the next year they go to a different church. You're like, whoa, what just happened? And they just, you just felt abandoned. Maybe even your parents have made commitments to you. Oh, you got your baseball game? Oh, I'll be there. You know, my, my parents never came to one single track meet. I used to do track. I know, it's crazy to believe. They, didn't, they never went to a single track meet. In the end, I kind of was thankful for that because I was always <laughs> in last place. But still, come on, everybody else's parents were there. Oh, I'll, I'll be there. They don't show up. You guys ever had that where your parents made broke promises over you? Maybe your siblings, maybe your family members. Listen, we have a, a, a plethora of experiences where people have broken their commitments to us. And that word commitment doesn't mean the same thing that God has always intended it for it to be. Now, if this is the background, this is the culture that we're living in today's society. Listen, it would be dumb for us to think that we wouldn't have commitment issues when it comes to God. It would be foolish for us to think that all of, all of what the world says isn't trying to come on us in terms of our relationship with the church. Number one, even your commitment to your familias. Come on, familiar leaders. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You guys know I got reports, right? I know who shows up to every familia. You guys know that? Y'all think that I don't know you because I don't talk to you one-on-one, but I know you. Okay? <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. No, but I'm not playing. All right? <laughs> 
Commitment to our familiars, commitment to Emmaus, commitment to our spiritual leaders, commitment to church. What about just simply commitment to God? I'm going to just bring it down right to that basic today. How can, how can we struggle with committing in all these different areas of our lives and think that we wouldn't struggle with committing to God? Listen, there needs to be a renewing of the mind that needs to happen. Before you can stand up on the altar and say, God, I want to commit to you, you better get your mind in check because everything that you've learned in today's society is telling you the exact opposite. That commitment is temporary. That commitment gets broken. Now, we got to confront that issue. Is it okay if I confront that issue today? Is that right? Can we talk about that? Listen, it was never meant for that word commitment to, equip, to be equivalent to careless words, half-hearted commitments, broken promises that are never met. In kingdom culture, when I say kingdom culture, I'm talking about what God has always intended for us. I'm talking about like Garden of Eden, sort of, you know, everybody was chilling, but we made messed up big time. Kingdom culture, when God talks about commitment, he's talking about forever. Forever, ever? Forever, ever? You guys even know that song? I'm not old. All right, so. Listen, this is what God talks about commitment. This is what, when he talks about careless words, he's serious about it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Y'all gonna get jacked up on this one. Lord, I pray grace over everybody in this room. Just by this verse. Every time I read, I'm like, oh, just got beat up. Help us, Jesus. All right, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. And it says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, and this is Jesus speaking, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your own words, you will be justified, and by your own words, you will be condemned. Now, you may speak a careless word here and there to your friend and think nothing of it, but I'm telling you, every word that leaves your lips, it says God's going to hold you accountable. Oh, snap! That's crazy. Yeah, I mm-hmm. Think about it. When God talks about oath and commitment, he's for real. He's serious. He's serious about it. He's so serious about his commitment to us and the level of commitment that he desires from us. He's not joking about that. God's not interested in giving us half-hearted promises. That's not even in his nature. It's impossible for God to give you a half-hearted promise. God is all about commitment. And if God is all about commitment, then... We need to be all about commitment as well. And we're sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm God's son. God's my father. Hallelujah. Praising our hearts out. And you ain't down with what God's down with. You're off. Listen, God's down with love. So you better be down with love. It says you don't know God if you don't know how to love. If you, if you have beef with somebody, you know what God says? You don't know me. That's how serious he is about love. I'm talking about the same thing with commitment. He's like, I'm all about commitment. Are you? Because if you're all about me, you'd be all about commitment as well. God is all about commitment. You know what the most accurate picture of our relationship with God is? It's not just a father-son relationship. It's not a friend-to-friend relationship. It's not a a, a sister-to-brother relationship. It's the relationship between husband 
and wife. That's the picture that most accurately describes God's longing, his love, his commitment to us. How many of you guys are still friends with the people that you were friends with when you were third grade? Some of you may be. And you know, good for you. That's good. (laughs) Many of us aren't. How many of you guys are still in the relationship with your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend? Many of us are not. Some of us are. But many of us, I'm telling you, the majority is probably not. Even our relationship with our parents, y'all are getting to be adults now. Soon you're going to graduate, your parents pay for college or you're paying for college. You're going to walk out of your home and you're going to be on your own. I mean, they're always going to be your mom and your dad, but in terms of their, their influence in your life, that's going to change. You guys understand that? But when it comes to your husband or wife, you walk it out together. It's the strongest kind of commitment there is. There's nothing stronger than a man who commits himself to his wife in a marriage uh, covenant. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 to 33. And I'm going to, I'm going to show you that this is not heretical. Some of you are like, what? God's my husband. That's word. All right. Listen, we're going to look at the Bible. Okay. Ephesians chapter five. Boy, we're trying to give wrong. (laughs) Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. Um, we're going to read all the way to 33. So I'm going to read one verse. You can read the other. Listen, I have ESV. If you don't have ESV, it's all good. Just read whatever you got. We're starting from 25 all the way to 33. Husbands, I love this verse. Love your wives. Mm-hmm. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might be present, the church to himself He might present, excuse me, the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. However, let each, of, each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Verse 32, this mystery referring to marriage is profound, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and who? The church. Who's the church? We are. So here in Ephesians, it's clearly stated that when they're talking about just marriage, obviously they're talking to the husbands and previous verses, which is my husband's favorite verse, wives must submit to their husbands. And I'm always like, and the next verse says, <laughs> you better be the whole thing, honey. Um, <laughs> But this whole illustration is not just talking about marriage in the natural, but actually what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. There's no greater relationship that requires one more commitment than a relationship between husband and wife. And two, there's no greater relationship that experiences more intimacy 
than between a husband and wife. Listen, my mom and dad knows me, but my husband knows me. You know what I'm talking about? My mom and dad, they know me, they, they raised me, they loved me, but my husband is going to know me like nobody else. The level of intimacy that I get to experience with my husband is like no other relationship that I'm ever going to have on this earth. That being with a human being. Obviously, my relationship with God is better. Listen, commitment and intimacy. How many of you guys are desperate to know the Lord more? You know, we say that, God, we want to know you, God, love you, God, we want to know you. Guess what? You can't have intimacy without commitment. That's like telling a girl, hey, let's hook up, let's have sex tonight, and you ain't put a ring on her finger, and you didn't get her married. You're trying to get intimacy without commitment, and listen, God is not down with that. And it's the same for his relationship with you. He wants commitment. Listen, we do that. And remember I told you we got to renew our mind about things? Because I know when I talk about marriage, you guys have a different idea of marriage. Because what we're bombarded with, one, is divorce. Over 50% of people getting divorced. Korea, the stats are rising up in Korea as well as one of the top. I don't know if it's the top right now, but it's battling Japan for the top. And I wish I could tell you that there was a difference between divorce in the church and divorce outside the church, but it's the same which is messed up. Something's wrong there, I personally think. But even when we think about marriage, you know, a lot of us think about, man, we can, what's the point of getting married? We can experience all the things that are good about marriage without getting married. Hook up with your boyfriend, live with your boyfriend, experience all those pleasures, the intimacy. We don't need to get married. That intimacy that you're going to have with your significant other outside of commitment, you know what that's like? It's like a bootleg Gucci bag. Okay, sisters, I need y'all to connect with me real quick. Here's the thing about bootleg Gucci bags. Number one, they're cheap. Yeah, they're not as costly, but number two, they're cheap in quality. It's not like the real Gucci bag. Listen, I know because I had the fake Gucci. I had Poochie. I had Gucci. I don't know what I had. I had all sorts of fake bootleg goods. But listen, they always fell apart. Always fell. Seems to be ripping six months into me having my Poochie wallet or whatever. You know, my girlfriend, she loves me. She got me a real Fendi bag. I know, right? She was balling, though. She, like, got us all bags. And I was like, hey. That bag is intact. Can I tell you? I've had that bag for over six years. There's not a stitch out of place. The quality of the leather, the quality of the strap, the quality even of the zipper is completely different. I mean, you may be able to experience some second-rate intimacy, but I'm telling you, it's nothing like the real thing. Nothing. Satan's all about the bootleg. I'm not down with bootleg anymore. It's either real Fendi or you out. What is it? Pendy? Get out of here. <laughs> That's how Koreans would probably do it. Pendy. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> so the cost is cheap, and that's what we like about it. Because when it comes to commitment, you know why we don't like commitment? It's because it's costly. It's, it's expensive to be committed. It's expensive to be committed. It's expensive to be committed in a marriage relationship. I know y'all want to get married. And y'all think that life is going to be like hunky-dory when you get married. But can, can I be real with you guys? 
It's not that easy. It's really not that. If you're in, if you're trying to get married because you want to get loved, mm-mm, you're going to be terribly dissatisfied. You got to get into marriage to love. If you're walking in this relationship thinking, oh, I'm going to be the receiver of this relationship, man, you're going to be so disillusioned. It doesn't work like that. Marriage requires so much sacrifice. You know, everybody, you know, let's say we go after large group and we all go to the Norebang. I love Norebang. You know, and everyone's like, oh, Pastor Aaron, are you going to come? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call my husband. Hey, honey, what are you doing? Hey, can I go to Norebang? <laughs> are you home? Yeah, can I go? Can I go? Because my life is not my own anymore. You guys understand that? When I committed to my husband almost three years ago, and I stood in front of him, in front of God, in front of the church, in front of the priest that married us, I said, listen, after this decision, when I say I do, I'm telling you that I'm a part of you, and you're a part of me. That means I can't be making decisions on my own anymore. We do it together. That's sacrifice. I used to, man, I used to chill all the time. I mean, um, recently at New Philly, we had a lot of couples um, coming out the closet. That sounds bad, but y'all know what I mean, right? All these couples. And everyone's all got that, like, that I want to get married bug. And I'm like, enjoy singleness, okay? Singleness is awesome. They're like, what are you talking? I'm so lonely. And I'm like, please, please. You can go wherever you want. You can buy whatever you want. You can eat whatever you want. You can hang out with whoever you want. All that is up to you. It's a very nice lifestyle, very convenient. When you get married, it don't work like that, okay? My husband wants to chill with his boys. You know who he's going to talk to first? Hey, honey, um, can the guys come over and play Madden? <sighs> I don't know. For how long are they going to be there for? <laughs> just, just, just three hours. All right, fine. All right, thanks, babe. Click. That's our conversations, okay? He's not going to let people into, his ho- into our house without asking me first. I'm trying to tell you that commitment is costly. And that's why we try to avoid it. It's expensive. But, what I, but the point of my message is the intimacy that you receive in response to the commitment that you make, it's worth it. It's worth it. Three years into my marriage, it's going to be three years in July, and I always forget our wedding day. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like such a bad wife. <laughs> Christian always knows all the dates of everything, and I'm like, he's like, you know, if we talk to another couple, they're like, when were you married? I'm like, yeah, July 27th. He's like, no. I'm like, 28? <laughs> no. And I'm like, I don't know. It's July. <laughs> I'm like what a normal husband does, but it's 26 to 27. Does anybody else remember in this room? When I get married? 26? Okay, thank you. My staff. Thank you, staff. That was one of those days. <clears throat> it's costly, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. But really, we can't ask for the intimacy with God without first committing to him. It's out of order. Think about it. If you had a daughter, I just said that's so New York, a daughter <laughs> who drank water. Okay, if you had a daughter, all right, and your daughter is 21 years old, she's beautiful, she's educated. I mean, she is just your treasured. She's just like the apple of your eye. You love her. And she comes by home and she brings a guy over. And this guy is like, whatever. He ain't got no job. Okay. You don't know what he's doing, but you know they're hooking up. And you ask her, hey, you gonna, 
you, are you guys going to get married? Are you thinking about that? And, every, and she says, well, every time I bring it up, he just he doesn't want to talk about it. He says he's not ready yet. How are you going to respond to that? You know you're going to be like, oh, what the heck? You better dump that kid. Like, come here, boy. You're going to get, because that's your baby girl. Listen, it's the same thing for God and you. You know, that's the thing that killed me the most. I didn't realize that God looked at me that way. That when guys did stuff to me without laying down the commitment first, and I shared a little bit about this at the retreat, that, you know, I had sexual encounters that was not, um, I keep forgetting the word. It's not consensual. Thank you, Andy. And I had those, I had people take advantage literally of my body. And I was blaming myself for it. It took me years later, three, four years later, to figure out that God was pissed about that. Then when he saw that situation, he's like, oh, hold up. That's what? You know, do you know who she is? That's my daughter. That he was raging mad about what this guy was doing. I had no idea. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think that, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because if it was my daughter, I'd kind of be upset about that, too. We so want the, the luxury of the pleasure that we can get from intimacy, but nobody wants to commit. I'm telling you tonight, God's not down with that. And if you think he is, you better get your mind renewed tonight. We got to unlearn the ways of the world. You know, sometimes when we even think about marriage, we're not even thinking lifetime lifelong relationships because we're so surrounded by broken homes, broken marriages, that we get jaded. Even the word marriage that's supposed to be sanctified and, and supposed to be this very whole... You know, can I tell you, man didn't make up marriage. Marriage was a God-made institution. He's kind of the one that thought of that idea. It, it wasn't us. It was him. Because he knew that he'd be most manifest and most glorified through that relationship. He thought of that. Yet when we think of marriage, a lot of the times it's mixed in with what God never intended. Let me submit this idea to you. I think that one of the reasons why we see so much divorce is because a lot of people don't have a clear understanding of what God intended for marriage. It's the difference between contracts and covenants. When you make a contract, it's you do this for me and I'll do this for you. A lot of people walk into marriages like that. As long as you satisfy my needs, as long as you're going to be there for me, as long as you're going to take care of me, as long as you're going to do this for me, I'll do the same for you. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. That's why we see so many divorces because people say, you know what? I fell out of love. This, I was just so unhappy in my marriage. I was so unhappy. When someone says they've fallen out of love, I think that's just a bunch of BS. You don't fall out of love. You just choose to stop loving. That's how it is. You just choose to stop loving the person. And we see so many people make these commitments to one another, and they just choose to stop because their needs weren't being met. It's circumstantial. It's conditional. But when we talk about a marriage that's covenant, we're talking about not just making a promise between you and me, my husband and myself, but you're making that promise with God. When you make a covenant sort of marriage, all of a sudden God's your witness. And if God's your witness, what do we just read in Matthew chapter 12? He's holding you accountable. 
And it's not just in a scary, not only is holding you accountable, but he's going to empower you. He's going to able you to love somebody that you never thought you could love somebody. You know how hard it is to love someone? It's not natural, you guys. It's natural when all, everything's all dandy. It's natural to be loving towards someone. But when someone's being a jerk to you, when my husband is bugging out, okay, and he forgot that he's my husband, and he's rah, 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 the first thing on my mind is not, oh, I love you, honey. Oh, cupcake. You're so precious to me. I'm thinking, rah, 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 <laughs> in return. But I have a choice to make at that moment. Hold on. Woosa. Oh, hmm. I committed to you. All right, baby, what's wrong? Why are you so upset? What's going on? I got to choose to love him at that very moment. And when I'm coming home and all I'm, I'm all upset because some Ajashi knocked me down and some Ajma ripped me off or whatever, you know, he's got a choice to be able to be there for me as well, to love me as well. And even when we don't feel like it, guess what? We committed to it. Sometimes we're just so stuck on emotion. You know what? I don't feel like it. And so you don't listen. That's not what commitment is about. When you make commitments, there's going to be a bunch of times where you don't feel like it. <laughs> I'm sure even for you guys, there have been some times where you didn't feel like going to familiar. You didn't feel like coming out to large group. Or you didn't feel like going to church on Sundays. But you committed to it, and so you went. Sometimes our relationship with God is so emotional that when we don't feel like connecting with him, we just stop. As much as it's a choice to love another human being, listen, we got the utmost privilege to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. But how many of us are actually committed to that? Even when your circumstances are jacked up, even when things are not going, even when you prayed consistently about one thing and God has not answered your prayers, are you still going to choose to love him? Or are you going to be like, you know what, God, you suck. I'm out of here. Listen, there have been times where you've been disappointed by God's plan. Sometimes it ain't our plan. Actually, like 99.99% it ain't our plan. And he always surprises us. And we're stuck on the fact that we think that our plan is better. And circumstantially, it causes us to turn away. Or conditionally, we turn away. Or emotionally, we turn away. I'm just not as passionate about God as I used to be. You know, I remember when I was just so fire-filled and everything was, woo and I just wanted to sing and dance and read the Bible for five hours each night. But you know what? It's not like that anymore. I think I just fell out of love with God. It doesn't work like that in natural marriages, and it doesn't work like that with your commitment with God. I don't care if you don't feel like it. you got to commit to him. Sometimes there are going to be seasons where it's so hard. I've been married for three years, and I've hit points in my marriage where I was like, man, did I make the right decision? This is so tough right now. I feel so by myself. How could I feel so alone when I'm married to somebody? I've hit those points. It was hard. I had to lay down some things that I did not want to lay down when it came to my marriage. But I had to keep reminding myself, listen, there's no other option. I've committed to this. Divorce is not on my radar. 
I gotta stick through this. I know it's hard for me to even look at my husband. I know it's hard for me to even talk to him right now. I know it's hard for me to, you know, feel loved by him, but I gotta stick through this because I committed to him. We gotta have that kind of fire, that kind of drive, that kind of commitment with our relationship with God. Because he's so committed to us. You know, that's why they say there's that saying that dating is a practice of divorce. Because you know how dating works? You date somebody, you get all happy, the needs are being met, and one day something happens. Either the infatuation dies down, they don't look as cute as they used to when you first saw them. Or circumstances come up, all of a sudden you got all this family drama and you can't deal with the fights that you've been having with the person that you've been dating. And what do you do? It's so easy. Hey, you know what, Tina? I mean, I love you, but I'm just not in love with you anymore. Let's break up. It's your way out. And we wonder why there's so much divorce. And you'll think that doing it the world's way is going to do it. Let's look at the statistics. It ain't going so well. I'm not saying you can't date. And people always have this so wrong about me and my husband. They're like, you don't want us to date or get married. You want us to be celibate and lonely forever. I'm like, yo, calm down. All right, you know what my genuine heart is for every single one of you guys? I want you guys to be married. But you know what else? I also don't want you guys to get divorced. I want you to be married and stay married for just the rest of your life. And that's why I'm going to give you some of the advice that I'm going to give you. It ain't going to be advice you're going to want to hear all the time. But I'm going to say certain things. Because my heart is not only to get you married, but to have you stay married. And when we do dating like the world does dating, all we're practicing is when our needs are not getting met, when our circumstances aren't looking good, we're out can't we can't look at commitment like that you know if our relationship is best described in a marriage analogy you know what god called israel often you know when you guys read the old testament i know it's like what does this have to do with me old testament is mad boring why there's like 50 quadrillion names listed in you know four chapters really not interested and cannot pronounce them this is what i want to tell you guys Old Testament is rich. Literally, it's rich. And one of the things about the Old Testament is the journey of Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. And it says in the word that the people of Israel is us. And if you follow the people of the Israel so many times, you're like, I did that too. <laughs> you see a miracle. You see God part the Red Seas, and next day you're complaining. Where's my bang? Where's my kogi? I'm sick of this. So quick to complain right after. Don't we do that sometimes? We get this huge breakthrough in the next day. We're like, I'm hungry. You know, we we have so much to learn from Israel. And a lot of it is what not to do. (laughs) What not to do. It's like, what would Jesus do for Israel? It's like, what not to do. You look at Israel. I don't know why I looked at my watch. I'm trying, because it was a bracelet. Anyway, okay, so. (laughs) And so Israel was often considered the adulterous nation. You adulterous one out of the mouth of God himself. And he would speak through different prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And he would say, let's talk to my people and tell them that they're committing adultery against me. 
And you would hear of the Israelites. I mean, they saw God. They knew God. They kind of sort of knew God. They heard about God. But they kept worshiping all these other gods. For some reason, all these, like, little statues be coming out of nowhere. They, like, be getting all their earrings together and molding a little cow. And they're like, God. You know? And God's like, what? That's not me. That's not me. And he considers that adultery. Because his commitment and his covenant to his people was the same as marriage. That when they started turning to other things to meet their needs, other things to get pleasure, other things to get wisdom and guidance, he called that adultery. I'm going to be the first one to tell you, guilty as charged. I got saved when I was 12, but God knows I committed mad adultery. There were times where it was just all about me, 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 me. I just was worshiping myself. I was my number one priority. If Aaron wasn't happy, nobody could be happy. There were times when I put my boyfriend on the pedestal, and it was all about him, 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 him. And when God told me specifically, you got to let him go, I couldn't do it. Because why? I was worshiping him. And obviously, I'm not like, oh, ex-boyfriend, how I love thee. I mean, I'm not talking about that kind of worship. But I'm talking about priorities here. He was the main source of my joy. Y'all hear me? He was the main source of of, uh, peace for me. If I had a situation, I wasn't going to turn to God. I was running to my boyfriend, calling him on the phone. Babe, you know what happened to me today? Blah, 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 blah. And he he had to comfort me because I was always turning to him. The other other times, money was my um, God. That's how I got into stealing because I was all about, man, remember I was talking about Pendy? I wanted my own Fendi, okay? But I had no money to buy Fendi. And so I just started stealing. And I just started stealing Fendi. Not good either. And I thought, man, if I have this and that, if I'm financially secure, if I pursue this career, I'm just, I'm just going to be happy. And I looked to money to satisfy me. You know, when I had a bad day, I'd go to the mall and I'd go home and be like, I feel better. Some of y'all think Food. You know how I know about this with me when you start fasting? And I highly encourage you guys to fast. You know how much food is important to you? Oh, so hungry. Everything turns into food. Like your, all your heads would be like in and out burgers. You know what I'm saying? Like every just food. food. And, and I just realized, man, when I had a bad day, I just eat, I'd be like, you know what? I got to eat something good. You ever do that? Like, I got I to gotta go to a good restaurant and get some good food because I had a bad day and this food's going to make me feel better. Even that, adultery. When God isn't the first person you're turning to, guess what, y'all? You guys are breaking your commitment to him. Well, I'm guilty of it. So guilty of it. We cheat on God. Who likes cheaters? You know there's a show in the States called Cheaters? Christian loves that show. Don't tell him I told you that, though. <laughs> He's got a thing for garbage TV. Anyway, um, you just catch people cheating. You just catch them in the act. That's a whole show. And then you just catch the person's reaction of the one who got cheated. It's terrible. Half of it is made up, probably. But half of it, I think, is sincere. It's just terrible. Just to see someone's heart get crushed. Here's the thing. We're always so concerned about our emotions, but how many of you guys actually think about the emotions of God? You know, emotions, we have emotions because God has emotions. And so if it hurts you and I to get cheated on by somebody, even by a friend to cheat on you, I mean, that sounds weird, but you know what I'm talking about? Like a friend to just drop you and then make new friends. 
if that hurts so much, are we ever thinking about God's heart when we're not turning to him? When we're trusting in other things way more than we're trusting in him? Do we ever think about how we're making him feel? I think we just think that God's this like, I don't know, stoic being in heaven. He doesn't have the capability of feeling sad, but that's so not true. Read your Bible. There's all kinds of emotions that God expresses. Anger, jealousy, all of that included, especially when it comes to his bride. And we don't really think about that. Do we understand how much it hurts God? I'll give you a quick picture. You know, before I got married, I, like I said, I got, I've been married for almost three years now. Um, we got engaged after six months. Okay. I was 23 years old. Um, I was pretty young, got engaged. And, um, prior to my relationship with Christian, I was in a relationship with someone else for four years. So in, in a way I've been, I have more history than my, with my ex-boyfriend than I do my husband. That's why I don't, I'm not about long-term dating, first of all. That's just a slipping opinion right over there. Um, I was married. It was like I was married to my ex-boyfriend, for real. I mean, we lived together for a little bit of time. We were um, having sex. Uh, we, I wasn't pursuing God at the time, but I was definitely... I, I never forgot about God, but I just didn't want to think about him, if that kind of makes sense. He's definitely, he definitely wasn't on my priority list. And so I was with this guy for over four years. And before him, I was with, like, numerous guys. Um, not so much relationships, but more just hooking up. Because I, I had my heart broken when I was in ninth grade. Um, I know, I was so young. So there's this guy, long story short, me and my best friend both liked him terribly. We had a terrible crush on him. And he knew that we both liked him. And so he just played us. Like, one day he would only talk to me and ignore her. And then the next day, he would only talk to her and ignore me. And he was one of those touchy-feely guys. Sisters, you know what I'm talking about? Tina, come over here. You're about to get half molested, but you know, I'm your mom, so it's okay. You know, those guys are like, oh, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Yeah, I missed you so much. Just all up on me. But, but, but I just, it, it, it almost created like a chunk because he was so physical with me that I was like, oh, I really like you. I really like you. I really like you. But he played me hardcore. Anyway, that lasted about a year. After that year, I literally made an oath to myself. I will never let my heart get broken again. And so I began to take this role of the heartbreaker. You know, it's such a cliche story. Got your heart broken and your heart. That was me. Okay, in a nutshell. And I just play left and right. Listen, you guys want to talk about dating and, and and the dumb excuses why we break up with people? There was this guy I was dating for just a little bit. And he called me. And one time I banged my elbow. And I was like, oh, ow. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, man, I just banged my elbow. And he goes, oh, baby, baby, are you okay? I broke up with him the next day. I was like, oh, heck no. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it's over. <laughs> I'm like, uh-uh, no, I don't do no baby talk. <laughs> anyway, I was one of those. <laughs> um, yeah, I just was, I was brutal. I was brutal. But because I was so hard-hearted, I just went through guys like this. And, you know, I definitely, in terms of my number, you know, how you're like, what's your number? My number was up there. Okay, it was up, and like, hey, over here, okay, not one hand, not two, you know, anyway, so, 
my number was up there and you know i didn't really think about the consequences now we talk a lot about god's grace and god's grace is is good but i'm going to be real with you guys that doesn't mean that there's consequences to what we do you know and when i got uh to the point where christian and i were talking about being engaged we had to sit down and talk about my past you can't don't think for a second that you can go into a marriage without talking about your past because you bring that past with you. And there are actually testimonies, accounts of people where men have been promiscuous, didn't tell his wives, but their sex life is so estranged. The, the wife, for some reason, feels so distant while they're connecting in that physical way. Even though the words aren't being said, the damage is there. And so you've got to deal with it. And God's, God's mercy is good enough to, to sanctify us and to cover us. I mean, I'm a testimony of that. But you gotta, you got to go through the dirty work of, of dealing with it, being head on with it. And my husband knew my past because he led a healing and deliverance session for me, and I shared everything. But he didn't know just how bad it was. And so there was one night I had this dream. And in this dream, I was um, shopping, and I, was going, I knew I was going to a funeral. And I was like, oh, man, I got I to gotta buy a black dress because I have nothing to wear. And I'm going in this, in this stream, and I'm in this store, and all of a sudden I see a rack of clothes. And it's all black clothes, but the thing is they're all sheer. It's all see-through black outfits. And I'm like, what? I can't wear this. People can, you can totally see everything. So I'm like, man, maybe there's something opaque, something that you can't see through downstairs. And I make my way downstairs, but in the middle of that, all of a sudden, I'm switched to a different scene where I'm in bed, and I'm hooking up with some random guy. The crazy thing is Christian's there, my husband, at the time my fiance, and he's sitting there and he's just watching me like this. And I'm hooking up with this guy and I see him there, but there, I have no will to stop. In my mind, I'm like, I got to stop. He's watching. Don't be there. Don't watch me. You can't see this. You can't see this. I'm freaking out, but I can't stop. I don't have control. And so I'm, conti- I'm hooking up with this guy and all I'm thinking is, oh my gosh, Christian is... He's seeing the whole thing, and I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. And then the scene changes, and all of a sudden, I'm back in the store, and I'm walking down the steps, and I'm looking for that opaque black dress, right? And I'm going down the steps, and as I go down the steps, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I see all my high school people. And mind you, these aren't my friends. These are just random high school people. And I'm like, what? what? And I go down each step, and as each step, with each step I take, the step gets bigger and bigger. To the point where the step was so tall, it was taller than my height. So can you imagine going down a step that was as tall as you? Scary. So I was up to the last step, and I couldn't go down. It was so big. And I was like, oh, I'm going to die. I can't. I can't do this. I can't go down. I was so gripped with fear. And I just remember at that moment, all of a sudden, faith just filled me. Just faith filled me, and I knew that I had to get down this last step, that it would be crucial for me. I don't know why. I don't know what it meant. All I know is I had to go down. And finally, I, I'm, I go down the step, but I'm literally hanging on the ledge, and I'm like, I can't let go. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't let go. I'm too scared. I'm going to fall. I'm going to get hurt. And it's just all I keep hearing is you have to let go. You have to let go. You have to let go. And finally, with just each finger, I pry my finger off and I, I let go. And at that moment, I see an elevator and it goes ding. And the elevator opens up and it's going up. Bizarre dream, right? Everyone's like, okay, what was the point of you telling us that? Okay, there's a point, all right? This is the point. 
So I started praying about it. You know, God speaks through dreams. If you guys have crazy dreams, you should talk to one of your leaders because dreams are so significant. He did it with Joseph. He did it with Daniel. He still does it today. And so I had this dream, and I was like, God, I think this is pretty significant. What does this mean? Um, what, what, what is this all about? And I shared with Christian. I said, "Hun, I had this cri- – well, no. When we were dating, I called him baby. When we got married, I started calling him hun because hun sounded more like a husband thing. And I was like, babe, what do you think this dream means? And he goes, I think I kind of know what it means. And I was like, what? And he's like, that scene where I'm watching you hook up with the guy – I feel like it means you need to tell me everything. And it's going to feel like I'm watching everything that you did. But I feel like it's, it's necessary. We have to go through that. And my heart just sank. I was like, yo, oh, man, I really don't want to tell you everything. Like I told him the Cliff Note version. You know, when you guys used to do book reports, y'all know you didn't read the books. Y'all just got that, like, 30-page cliff notes. <laughs> and I thought, in the same way, in, in accordance to my past, I gave my husband a cliff note version. And, but he wanted to read the whole book. And I was like, uh, one, it's really long. And two, like, I'm really uncomfortable with that idea. But, I mean, I just, I knew that he, he needed to know. And so, um... I think we weren't even engaged yet. We were just dating. But um, long story short, I realized what the dream meant, that I was going to my own funeral, the old me. And when I was looking at the see-through black outfits, it's, it required for me to be completely vulnerable. Completely vulnerable. It was inclusive of Christian, me telling Christian everything that happened, that scene where I was hooking up in front of him. And I had to go down to my past, an area I didn't want to go. That's why when I was going down those steps, I kept seeing high school people because high school people just represented my past. And those steps getting taller and bigger as I went down just signified how hard it was going to be the deeper and deeper I got. But there was one hope that I got in that dream, which is elevator. The moment I put my feet down, the moment I let go, I saw the elevator. Ding! And that elevator represented just increase, fast increase. And I felt like God was saying, yeah, I know you got to go down here. I know I'm telling you to go back down here, but listen, when you go down, there's an elevator waiting for you. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. And so I told my husband my whole, all the nitty gritty. And you know what? I was ready for him to break up with me. Literally. I was ready. I, I, I was ready, and God was telling me, if he breaks up with you, will that change your perspective of yourself? Will you still believe that you are pure and righteous because I cleansed you? And I said, God, if he breaks up with me because of this, I'm still going to believe what you say over me. I'm not going to tell myself that I'm not worthy. And I, and I literally, he, as I was sharing with him, it started off where he was listening like this, and then he was like this. And then he was like this. And towards the end, my husband's face was in his hands crying. I, I didn't know. Nobody told me that I had to do that. In my whole Christian life, nobody told me that I would have to tell my husband everything. And lay it all down so that he could forgive me. If there's one thing that hurt me more, wasn't the shame, but it was that I hurt him. 
Even before we got married, I committed adultery. And I looked at him and I said, listen, I know you really care about me, but you need to understand something. I will not think of you any less than the man that I know that you are if you decide to walk away from this relationship. I said, I won't respect you. I mean, I won't lessen my respect for you, even, even a millimeter. If you tell me today that this is too much for you and we got to break up, I will honor that and I will, I will respect you. Just, just be honest with me. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, you don't understand. I said, what? And he said, I already forgave you before you started sharing. And I was, what? I don't, huh? I said, no, you don't get it. Before you shared, I made a commitment to God. Lord, whatever she says, I forgive her. I will choose to forgive her. He said, I forgive you. All of a sudden, the revelation of the cross, just boom, hit my heart on a, on a new level. It hurt him. There was consequences. But he forgave me. I'm telling you that that's the same for God in you. You hurt him. There are consequences, but he forgives you. His commitment to you is unwavering. It does not change. Turn with me to Hosea. Hosea. I'm just going to literally, I'm going to show you God's proposal to you. You know that there's a proposal? This is literally the picture of God going down on his knee and saying, I'm going to marry you. Go to Hosea, and we're going to go to Hosea chapter 2. And I want you guys to look with me to verse um, 14 to 23. I love this passage. Let me give you a little bit of background. You guys know the story of Hosea and Gomer? Hosea was a prophet um, called to speak on behalf of the Lord. And God told him, you're to marry a prostitute. Yeah. And Hosea went, what? <laughs> and God said, no, you have to marry this prostitute. And, and so he married a prostitute named Gomer. And this prostitute, they got married and they actually had children, but she ended up leaving him not once, not twice, but numerous times to go back to prostitution. And every single time she left him, God said, go get her, get her again, go get her again. And I was like, what do God, do you love me? Like, how are you going to have me marry a woman that keeps, she has children with other men. Like, how are you going to do that? And he's like, you don't understand your marriage is a prophetic sign. Of me and my people. I covenant with them. They leave me. But I'm always going to get them back. They may leave me again. But I'm always going to go and get them back. It's just a, a prophetic word of his commitment. And so the first two chapters are just talking about. Just how pissed God is. Okay. Remember I told you God has emotions. And they get this. Then we get up to verse 14 to 23. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. Her referring to Gomar, which also represents Israel, which also represents you and I. Okay? Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards. 
And I will make the valley of acre, which means trouble. So that her valley of trouble, a door of hope. And there she'll answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, Baal, which represents the idols that they worshipped at the time. For I will remove the names of Baal from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creepy things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me. Betroth means engaged. I will commit to marry you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. We'll just stop there. You guys can read the other verses later on. But this passage here was not just for that time. This passage here is a word for you and me. And literally, like I said, when my husband proposed, he got down on one knee. This is God getting down on one knee. And he's saying, will you marry me? Because I'm committed 120% to you. But will you say yes? You know, when my, when my husband proposed to me, it was a whole day-long event. It was our sixth month, so he gave me six gifts representing each month that we were together. Which each gift, I got a note. In each note, I got the song of the month that we were listening to and a poem. Not like, oh, flowers smell like blah, 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 blah. It was like a, like a rap, but <laughs> in written form. I love it. Just my style. And the sixth gift was going to be the ring. And he took me to the location of our first date. Okay? And there we are on the steps of the palace. We were at this cream palace. And he goes, are you ready for the sixth gift? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, all right, babe, I, just, I need you to stand up. And I'm like, Okay. And I had milk tea right before. And listen, I'm lactose intolerant. So you guys, can you guess what happened? He started opening up the letter and all of a sudden, oh, this is recorded, by the way. He recorded all this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, my stomach hurts so bad. He's like, what? He's like, oh, oh, oh let me pray for you. Let me pray. I break every demonic power that's coming against my my. My girlfriend right now, and she, he started warring for me, and I'm like, oh, I think I'm better. He's like, you better? And I'm like, yeah. And he, and he starts to get that, and I'm like, oh! And he's like, what? And I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom now. He's like, right now? And I'm like, now. And we're at the palace. There's no bathrooms there. And he's like, can you hold it? And I'm like, no, I can't. He's like, just hold it and just, uh, I'm, I got to be, I'm going to go. Like, I got to go now. And I started, and he wouldn't let me go. And I was getting more and more angry as he was like, no, no, no. And I was like, what's wrong with you? Finally, he relented, and he took me to a McDonald's. I was like half a block away. I was in there for like 15 minutes, but when I walked out, I was 20 pounds lighter, big smile on my face, and I was like, oh, I feel so much better, and he's like, oh, great. <laughs> now, little did I know, back in his apartment, he had all our friends waiting for us to celebrate us. He had uh, one of um, his good friends who's an amazing celloist. He was ready to just play the cello, and welcome. the place was decorated, candles, everything. I didn't want a public proposal, but... Um, I like the idea of having a celebration after. And so he had this all set up, and they're all waiting. We were late for our own engagement party. 
And he's like, shoot, what am I going to do? So he just, we just take a cab to go back to his place. And he's like, okay, someplace from here to, to there, I got to propose to her. And I don't know where. And we get to the apartment. And finally, we get to the elevator. And the thing is, our elevator in our first apartment is ridiculously slow. Okay, literally, it's like, oh, my gosh. We hated how slow this elevator. But for that night, we couldn't have asked for a better setup. It took mad long to get to the 12th floor. But from floor one to floor 12, he got on his knees and he proposed to me. And then I walked in the room. We had a big celebration. Now get this. Only after that proposal, I was reminded of my dream. That at the very last step, when I let go, there was an elevator there. Ding! Going up. I mean, we couldn't have planned that. That was so God-ordained. You guys, there's an elevator for you. I know it's tough to go down to the nitty-gritty of who you are, what you've done. It's tough to confess that to people, to your friends. Whether it's in the context of sexual immorality like me or something else, there's some things that we, we hide. God is saying, let's go to your funeral. That person is gone, but someone new is here, and that person, he's getting down on his knees, and he's saying, will you marry me? I know this is the last large group, and I kind of wanted to end it on this note, that even though this large group ends, God's commitment to you does not end. That even when you go back home and you're not in the context of Emmaus anymore, God's commitment does not end. That even though you go to a completely different country, or even if you're staying and you're not sure what it's going to look like, God's commitment does not end. But he's still on his knees for some of you because you haven't committed yet to him. You've been dating God. And it's okay for a time being. But eventually all dating needs to lead to something. Breakup or marriage. You know those are the two options for dating, right? And if you've been dating God and you've been committing just here and there, but I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about not making a single decision without talking to him first. I'm talking about laying down things that were just easy for you. I'm talking about a commitment that's costly. Listen, if you guys think that marriage is supposed to be easy or even our relationship with God is supposed to be easy, I'm telling you it's not. Our relationship with God was never designed to be easy, but it was always designed to make us holy. And if it's designed to make us holy, it's going to be tough sometimes. But are you going to commit, God, even when it gets tough? God, even when it gets tough, even when I don't feel you, even when I can't sense that you're near me, I'm going to commit to you. Even if I have some bad circumstances around me, even though people might wrong me and people might have empty promises, but with you, I'm going to commit. Even if everything else in my world is falling apart, God, I will never turn away from you. That's the kind of commitment I want to make. That's the kind of commitment he wants you to make to him.